Welcome to the Marketing Stir Podcast by Starista, probably the most entertaining marketing podcast you're going to put in your ears. I'm Jared Walls, Associate Producer and Starista's Creative Copy Manager. The goal of this podcast is to chat with industry leaders to get their take on the current challenges of the market, but also have a little fun along the way. We're taking a break this month, but thought we'd reshare some takeaways from season one. In this episode, we hear from Gregory Simpson, VP Head of Marketing and Pre-Sales at Sama, Paroma Sin, Senior Director, Industry Cloud GTM at SAP, Heidi Serenzia, VP Global Demand Generation at Reich, Carolina Kochalewski, VP Global Head of Marketing and Communications at Orion Innovation, Katie Kirshner, VP Brand Content and Digital Marketing at NCR, and Sebastian Opperman, VP Marketing at, at Ionis Cloud. Each guest speaks to how their B2B technology brands utilize tech, as well as some empathy after the shift to working remotely. Give it a listen. Um, I've been uh, here at Sama for about a uh, year and a half. When I first got here, I looked at kind of the existing marketing budget and I would say, look like 75% of it was spent on events. So it was, it was a huge part. That's where um, people learned about us. That's where you know, we got leads from. And then with the, you know, with the whole pandemic, um, you know, no more live events, but um, a lot of uh, companies uh, that, that produced events going virtual. One of our large industry events um, happened in the spring um, and just kept the, the date and the schedule and just uh, tried to do it virtually. And um, in my opinion, it didn't go very well at all. Really, um, you can't just take a live event and, and say, okay, now we're virtual. And in what works, in my opinion, when you go virtual is main stage keynote speakers, right? Because that's just one person talking the whole time anyway. But what doesn't work is um, a lot of the uh, smaller group interactions, um, you know, we're starting to see more breakouts. The other thing that doesn't work is um, that, that just blocking off a, a, a number of days, right? So someone's sitting uh, on a computer behind Zoom, or, or any other you know, video conferencing uh, app, so, you know, emails are gonna come in, calls are gonna come in, they're gonna get distracted, right? So it's hard uh, for them to say, I can dedicate the next three days to this event, like they could if they were there in person, that's different, right? Because you're, you're actually in a meeting and, and should have fewer distractions. So what I've seen working is, is some uh, events where they break them up and they'll say, okay, here's, uh, the things you can choose from. So you have, it's more like a couple meetings a day spread out over a longer amount of time. Um, another big thing that's missing is the networking. A lot of people go to events to talk to their peers and, and they'll see a, a, a new technology or a new product and then ask their peers, have you used them? Have you heard of them? Are they any good? Does it work? And that type of stuff. And that's missing too. So I think there's a great opportunity for uh, events uh, going forward to have some of these capabilities um, to allow people to network um, the way they, they have in the past in, 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 in real life. Has changed because our customer's world has changed. Um, we are very close to our customers in terms of, we want to be in a place where we help them. And uh, when they're worried, we are worried because it all, it, everybody's connected, right? Not just in a metaphysical way, but in a very pure capitalistic business way. So when this all started in March, April, the first decision that SAP Marketing took, which I was very, very <clears throat> proud of, very happy to see, 
we decided that we were not going to do any blatant selling, that we were just going to communicate to our customers that we are here to help you. We understand that you are very stressed at this point because at that point, people were, we were monitoring what people are searching and they were searching things about health, how to keep their families safe, how to keep their jobs safe, um, how to reach out to family that's, that's you know, far away, many countries away. Like my dad, my father is in India and I'm here. And I was like, you know, I'm not gonna be able to travel. So we saw that that's what people were searching and we decided we're not gonna do blatant selling for some time. We're just gonna offer support, just offer reassurance in an empathetic way and be there for them. I think that was a decision that was very, very significant given that we are such a sales-driven organization, right? We are always chasing KPIs. Our world has changed, yes, but in some ways we've been able to help customers. A lot of them that had physical stores uh, selling face-to-face, -face, we transformed their selling to online selling through our commerce um, and you know, stabilize those businesses, bringing resilience to business models. Of course, just like everybody else, we are a product of how the market reacts. So for example, if a certain industry suffers, we suffer because we have customers across 24 industries. Uh, a lot of sales has become online now. Uh, and in some cases we are seeing that's better because uh, a lot of travel is honestly not needed. Um, and then a lot of places where we would like to give an experiential, um, you know, an experience of a product to a customer that, that does suffer because we cannot meet face-to-face. But myself being remote 100% of the time, because I've always managed people remotely, but myself being 100% remote is all, was also like, okay, this is not something that I'm used to. As you could probably see, I'm an extreme extrovert and I love that interaction and I love the in-person. And, and so, um, but I also recognize that there are people on my team who are also extroverts. So now it gets into that human component, AJ, which is that I, I recognize that you know, at the end of the day, we all have responsibilities and accountability within our, our particular, you know, jobs, right? Um, and we now have, you know, you have, I have team members who I manage directly, or I have someone who manages them, and they are, a, you know, a teacher, a mom, a spouse, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, now you're competing with bandwidth. And so, you know, you have to just take pause and say, yes, at the end of the day, we have responsibilities to the business at the end of the day. That's why we're all here. And, you know, we actually did a leadership um, uh, training last week. And there's a woman that said, you know, human first, market or second. And that really resonated with me because there's a certain level of empathy and understanding in which you have to have right now. I mean, you should have anyway, right? <laughs> At the end of the day, we should have that anyway. Um, let's not use the pandemic. Let, hopefully the pandemic is teaching us that and, and reinforcing that and enforcing that. But at the end of the day, we should be that way anyway. So it is that level of empathy and that level of understanding when a team member said, Heidi, sorry, I had to miss a meeting because I was a second grade teacher for that 30 minutes and I didn't have a, ch a chance. Or my daughter was taking her final on Zoom and I, you know, and all those scenarios, which I'm sure anyone listening or even anyone, you know, you know, Vincent, AJ, I'm sure that you've experienced the same, right? So, um, and then I think the other side of it is just try to make some things a little bit more fun. Um, so every Friday I have a coffee talk with the team. It's 30 minutes. People have their kids, their dogs, people take walks. 
And it's just to like say, hey, hope you guys had a great week. I know we can't do a lot of things right now, but hope you have a great weekend. And the one rule is we can't talk about work. And I think that's important because we need that level of like what we would normally take a walk and go for coffee or, you know, but we can't do that right now. So I think that, um, you know, looking at it, like not losing sight of the business and our responsibilities and not forgetting that we are humans with feelings and, you know, we need to ensure that we're really, um, you know, uh, aware of both of those things. Um, back when, you know, you know, I you know, back when the technology actually wasn't there for it. And I'm not talking about webinars, you know, your grandfather's webinar where someone's pushing a PowerPoint presentation and it's audio only. I'm talking about webinars that are like a, a mini little CNN news show where there's an anchor and where there's interactive panelists and, uh, and, and actually developing and producing that is actually quite a feat. Um, so a decade ago when I was doing that at one of the large professional services providers, there's some really smart, you know, partners of a big accounting firm who, you know, I was putting on a stage. The technology wasn't there. We were doing them in a studio, you know, and we had cameras and cameramen <laughs> and broadcasting live. Now we have webcams and, you know, it's something that I love has become super simple to execute. And, um, and, and you know, the, the biggest thing, the reason I love this tactic so much, and it's certainly not the only tactic, we, 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 we do a lot of different, uh, things in marketing, but um, what I love is that it, it actually um, takes care of the three B's of marketing. And I've coined that. You, you can actually quote me for the three B's of marketing. Um, you know, one is you know we build the brand. Uh, webinars can really help with that. It's a pressure pressure cooker for creating content, um, compelling content. Um, it puts our subject matter experts on a stage. Um, it helps build brand awareness and also helps with storytelling. It's a great avenue and venue for storytelling. The second B is building relationships. If we happen to have external panelists, um, it, it ends up becoming um, a situation where we're building relationships with those panelists, deep relationships. And also our audience starts to trust us. And uh, you know, we're delivering you know, some free advice and guidance on, on some pretty complex um, challenges that our, our audience may be going through. So that kind of um, uh, altruistic kind of delivery of education almost you know, it, it builds loyalty in whoever it is, it is that is watching that content. So that's the second B, it builds relationship. And then the third B is uh, it builds pipeline. Most marketers have seen the stats out there. Webinars are phenomenal for driving um, lead generation. People are, have, we have an, a reason to be reaching out and emailing people. People are interacting with that content. People are, re are registering, then they're attending, then they're asking questions, then they're watching a replay. And so the marketing campaign that goes around that is, is huge and, and uh, it's, uh, it's useful. So it's a great lead generation, lead generation um, vehicle, but it is risky. And there is a lot, even with today's technology, there's a lot that can go wrong. And um, most of those things that can go wrong, you need a lot of practice, you need preparation and you need a backup plan. What happens if your computer <laughs> crashes and there's a reboot that happens right in the middle of your uh, live broadcast and we've got we've got some backup plans for all of that um and it's been working you know our linkedin following has doubled in um, less than a year and um you know we are making new connections and 
people are trusting us from the moment they start to interact with us. And I think it's because of some of the content that's out there and, and then they get a feel for uh, the minds of the thought leaders that we've put on stage and the thinkers within our company and they're getting a feel for who they're actually going to be working with. So mm -hmm. webinars is my favorite. Anytime you have an activation strategy, it's actually only as good as the content strategy you've built behind it for the content development. Meaning, if I'm going to do targeted ads, um, so display ads as well, if I'm going to go to an event, if I'm going to send out an email campaign, well, what's inside of that, what I'm presenting to the person, the content is what actually matters. And to me, that's what a webinar is, right? Webinar is not just, a, it, it's not a task, more tactic, it's more that content dev that then I activate with tactics. So um, yes, we do webinars. Um, uh, we like to create what we call hero pieces of content. So that's your longer form or your longer thought leadership and then developing derivatives off of that. Um, so that we're able to use those derivatives to push you towards the hero piece of content. Um, but those are like your light little snackables, your infographics, your, um, your shorter blogs. They may be longer form blogs, but they're not as long as like a thought leadership white paper and ebook, right? Um, it could be a customer story. So a story that leads to that narrative that says, oh, I had this pain point of which the white paper then addresses, right? So content is king. I know that that, that phrase has been used, started being used way before, like probably 10 years before, but it really is. And your activation strategy is only as good as the content strategy that's behind it. So we have a huge focus on what is the content we need to build? What is the common thread narrative we need to string across this content? And then how are we going to leverage it in an activation strategy to amplify it, to further it, so we get eyeballs on it? We are using quite a spectrum. As, as Jonas is uh, a new brand, I mean, it has been, as I mentioned, it has been named uh, called One and One before. Now we are Jonas, so you have to establish the brand. Now that this former hosting company is also offering cloud infrastructure, we have to get known in the industry. So naturally, doing awareness and brand building is an important part. Therefore, we do display, we do content, we do uh, social media. So we need to get known, uh, known and also perceived as a viable option. Therefore, we use reports and third parties who certify and testify that we know what we are doing and that we are a viable or even superior alternative to some of the uh, bigger you know, contenders uh, out there. And then, as I said, we are B2B business. So awareness is not everything. We, we have to get the leads in. It's a B2B product. It's not something that you buy on the checkout cache, you know, in, in Walmart. Something that can take three, six, or even more months uh, to get a signature. So we have a, we have a funnel. And uh, therefore, naturally, content is important. We need to... Um, provide content about the industry, the business, but also ourselves to, to our prospects and, and customers and add value. And then get them in contact with sales uh, uh, accountants and the executives like, like you do um, to, to see, okay, what is your need? How can we help you? Um, especially as our service is not just, you know, uh, you click and you use, but we also uh, do customized uh, uh, projects. And, and I think this is where we're different to some of the big ones, where basically the product is a product. We have a high service orientation 
and, and that's important to get in front of uh, the customer. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Stir podcast by Starista. We'll be back with full episodes in September, but until then, please tune in for a month of special topic-focused recaps from our season one guests. As always, please like, rate, and subscribe. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email us at info at See you next week.